If you want a wildly healthy, naturally disease-resistant pet who turns heads and starts conversations with awestruck onlookers, you're right where you belong. This is the Vital Animal Podcast with your host, homeopathic veterinarian, Dr. Will Falconer. Welcome, everyone. This is the Vital Animal Podcast. I'm Dr. Will Falconer, and it is my great pleasure to introduce you to my guest today, who is animal naturopath, Tom Sandberg. Welcome, Tom. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really excited about some of the work you're doing, Tom, and the, the place I'd like to start with you is to describe this longevity study for people who may not have heard about it. Yeah, that's something I started back in 2000, and what prompted it is just I wanted to see if I could see, I can get my Danes to live longer than six to eight years, which is mm-hmm. normal lifespan on, on the giant breeds. So that's sort of how I started it. And uh, to, little by little, other people got interested in it and then uh, asked them, would you want to be a part of a little pilot thing I'm doing? It's not serious, just report back to me. So I managed to get about 80 dogs. Well, I had over 80, but end of the study, I ended up with 80 dogs over a period of 15 years. So that was like the pre-study of just sort of that actually started to, I'm going to make sure I'm doing the right thing here. And uh, I'm not killing my dogs <laughs> on this roof because everybody told me I'm going to kill my dogs. I didn't think I would because I studied carnivores and the digestive system of carnivores and dogs for a Prior to that, so I knew raw food would be the way to go. And uh, uh-huh. okay, so every, everything I see was statistics and everything are based on kibble fed dogs. Because at that point, back in 2000, I didn't know anybody feeding raw food. And uh, so when I started that, I think, God, I, I might be onto something, but I had no clue. And I uh, uh-huh. went on a couple of forums, like Great Dane forums and things like that. And I mentioned that I was feeding raw one day. Anyone else did it, and there was almost nobody. And little by little, people joined of the forums, and I found actually a raw food, raw feeding forum way back then. I can't remember what it's called. I don't know if it's around anymore. So I joined that, and I then proposed that somebody want to do this little study with me, and then that's how I got the others to join too. Uh huh. So the the variables taking them off the kibble and putting them on raw. Yes. That was uh-huh. it. So they only only accepted the raw fed dogs, and but raw f- well, there were back then barf was the bigger thing, you know, with with a lot of the meats mm-hmm. and vegetables and things like that. Right, that was the biggest diet. I started on that too, and within six months, I could not get one that one of my Danes to have a regular stool, and mm. and some people suggest that it's a lower. Um, plant material put in there or other things. So it eventually ended up taking it all out and then suddenly had perfect stools. Huh. Actually, the wake-up call on that was when I, one day, just looking at my dog's poop and I saw this piece of grass in there that I know he has been eating the day before. And I said, how can, how can I? Okay, so the dense bones, because I fed bones, yeah? And um, mm-hmm. that all dissolved. Runny poop, and there's a little piece of green grass in the middle of it. So that survived. And uh, so I figured out they can't even digest a piece of grass and why I'm feeding these things. And, and I just took a leap and then I cut the whole 
vegetables out, and then suddenly everything got perfect. Uh-huh, I uh-huh. have to go down on the bones a little bit because they start getting these super white poops. So then I go down <laughs> on the bone, bones, and then I, in, and I find the... And that's another thing I figured out during this, that very, the variation of bones are also goes from almost like 10 to 20% on some dogs that they, to regulate, at least regulate the furnace on the, on the stool. And then, so oh. it's not, you know, the famous is 80-10-10, with the 80% meat, 10% organ meat, and 10% bones. And I, I think that is not set in stone either, that variations in there. Uh-huh. I think the 10, 10% organ meats is pretty close. Yeah. I, I stick around that, and I'm, try to have more than one, of course, organ meat. So I do, I'm fortunate where I live, I can have get two, three different organ meats. So we're 20 years into this study now, and what have your findings showed you? Well, after these 80 dogs, and in, in something I never thought of with anything with diseases or anything like that, I didn't think about that. I was just focused on the, the how many years they will live. And they, <laughs> the group of the, the other dogs that joined during this time, so maybe about 30, 40 were giant breeds and the rest of them were small. It's really tough to get these giant breeds to join for some mm-hmm. reason. No, I'm going to go back. And then um, these definitely, what I, what I noticed that because they reported into me about the in beginning, I had monthly that wanted to report monthly. That didn't happen. Then, um, <laughs> then I did every six months. And that I got more to do that, and eventually just went every year. And I had a form they filled out, and they kind of reported the diseases, some of the things, and you know, kind of the health condition of the dog. Uh-huh. And I definitely noted that there was not there was like the most boring update ever, and they still are because oh everything's <laughs> fine, everything's fine, nothing wrong, nothing wrong. When uh-huh. they got older, they got <laughs> stiffness and things like that, joint issues and things like that came on into them too. But um, and half of them were still. No, more than half of them were still vaccinating and doing flea tick and all that mm-hmm. because I didn't get involved in any of that. Didn't tell them to mm-hmm. stop or nothing. So the the studies, you know, there's so many variables in this thing that that they affect the results. But I had a big feed, like when I, when I was studying this thing and, and looking at the results, I definitely saw much much healthier dogs. They were fed mm-hmm. even when they were vaccinated or did these other things. Mm-hmm. So anything from like a fifty to hundred percent, because my my Danes live to the thirteen and fourteen data that's close to almost doubling the lifespan on on, on some of these Danes are so getting close to that. Yes. That was my first goal is to double the lifespan on the giant breeds. So that's some sort of one one thing I had in my mind, and later now I. My goal now is to see for how can we get dogs to at least live into their 20s. And I think that uh, shouldn't be any problem if you do all the right things. And cats, uh, I do cats too. I have cats in my study and I want those to live at least into the 30s and longer. Wow. And we have dogs now living into their 20s. You know, in Australia, farm dogs there uh-huh. live in quite late 20s. Rodney did one document. No documented one dog, I can't remember the name of the dog, was over 30 years old living wow. on the farm. Wow. So, and I know that it's sort of now starting to see the reason why, you know, why dogs live long, certain dogs live longer, that definitely trends in my study. Mm-hmm. I'm not ready to go out and, you know, say this and, you know, anything affirmative, but 
I'm just now at this point in the middle of my study, just looking for trends. Because mm-hmm. all the way up to 2015, there were only 80. That's when I decided to start adding more dogs based on the result from the 80 dogs, because there's so, so significant mm-hmm. health in these dogs, you know, so little diseases. Mm-hmm. And the biggest one that I never even thought of when I started was cancer. The, only one of those 80 dogs got cancer. Mm-hmm. And that was too crazy to even mention. So, because in my opinion, now 60, 70% of dogs get cancer. I think it's even higher because mm-hmm. not everybody reporting these things. Mm-hmm. And especially with kibble fed dogs. So then I got so interested in that. So I said, okay, I got to, in order to have some weight behind my study, I need to increase the amount of participants. So that's when I started to go out and recruit. Mm-hmm. raw fed dogs in different places on the internet but because i wanted in 2015 my goal was to get thousand dogs mm-hmm. into my study and 500 to 300 cats at that point and then that took me a year two years almost so for 2016 to 2017 i added those thousand dogs so around 2017 it's like i gotta get this into a mega study so then I decided, okay, I'm going to go for 10,000 dogs. <laughs> I still had 15, 20 years to do this thing. Uh-huh. And so that's when I, my goal is now. I don't know if I'm going to get there because I can't keep them all. Some falling off, just sure. losing contact with them. You know, they, sure. they, I don't. So, so my goal now is at least still end up with 5,000 lifetime study that I actually have the whole life. Mm-hmm. history health history of, of five thousand dogs i think that's still going to be very powerful mm-hmm. and i uh, get my at least maybe a thousand cats my goal is still ten thousand dogs and five thousand cats that's my goal that's what i'm shooting for but i think it's going to be much easier when i get to the point where i can where if we can talk maybe talk about a little later my risk and the rehab center that's the f- so so that three phases in my study phase one was that initial 80 dog study uh-huh then phase two is now that will go on forever until the end of the study. Phase two is to add, keep adding dogs into my study. Uh-huh. Phase three is to open a rescue and rehab center, a holistic one based on all the modalities that I had developed over these last 20 years. Uh-huh. And then that's going to be a center where I actually show everything I'm doing day by day. We'll rescue a pet. I will, I will prefer to take them from my shelters. I want to take dogs that are scheduled for euthanasia because health issues nobody wants to adopt them and uh, they don't have the money funds to adopt them so i want to take and take these dogs and then i would record and document every single day and everything i do with them and show people what i give food wise and supplements and things like that so people can do the same and in my mind, I want those are the most challenging dogs. They they are, and but many of them are like three or four or five years old because yeah. they've been coming from places where they've been completely, you know, mishandled, and then they've been out. Maybe some of these dogs have been fed for days and weeks and things like that, and uh-huh. nobody wants to adopt that or facing at thousands or thousands of dollars vet bill. Or some do, some do, but most of them will be euthanized, even in no kill shelters. So even though you should have a cell that called no kill, there are a certain percentage in there that also be are killed, but it's not the kill them for sort of humane reasons. So they, yeah. they don't call it a killing. This more like a relieve them from you know 
their misery. So I, I definitely want to hear more about that before we leave today. And what I want to be clear for people who are listening on is phase two, which you're in now, you've got a large number of dogs and your data is coming from the owners of these dogs who give you regular reports as to health status and that sort of thing? Yeah, once a month, not once a year, I will send out a reminder to all the participants uh -huh. in my study to fill out the form. I have a specific form. Uh -huh. Initially, there's also a form. When they join the study, they will fill out some basic information. I used to have that really big, you know, like ask for everything. Uh -huh. People just gave up in the middle of the forum and just, <laughs> this is too much. I can't have time for this. So I had to shorten <laughs> that down just to get them in there. So I get basic information, you know, the dog, the breed, the age. Yeah. I don't ask about anything, the vaccination, because people get very skeptical. Mm -hmm. Okay, what is he going to do with that information? Uh -huh. So, and they don't even know me. And uh -huh. so I, I did just do the regular and then what kind of food they're feeding, what type of raw food they're feeding. Are they pre made, may make themselves? So, the basic kind of question for me to, put them in a specific category in my study. Uh -huh. And then I ask if they have some, and that's, this is the most beautiful part. For me, that in the study, I ask if they can explain why they feed raw, if they had some sort of an experience, if they gave them a reason to switch to a raw food diet. Uh -huh. And these are the stories that keep me going because the, some of these stories are absolutely heartbreaking. They, you know, the dogs have been sick for years and years and years. They're going through allopathic type of treatments with drugs and steroids and antibiotics and on and off, on and off, and other things added into it. And nothing helps. Get dog got worse and worse and worse. And they got so frustrated. And at one point, they go and do their own research and they find raw feeding things and some jump that into that. And Within sometimes within weeks and definitely within months, they have a new dog. Wow. And if people are interested to see these stories, I have 400 of them on, uh, on my Instagram page. Wow. Because I take the ones that, that I really, that I make, that brings me tears sometimes reading this thing because I, I, I know the, the good thing of doing what you and I do is we know we are on the side of truth. Yes. That's my biggest motivator. I know I on the side of truth compared to what the cable companies, the veterinarians, and other things on the allopathic side. They, they, honestly, they're not on the side of truth. They, yeah. I know I am. I know what, what I'm doing, what I'm teaching, what I, I'm promoting works because yeah. I've seen it so many times. And I think I'm in an extremely unique situation having all these animals into my study. Because mm -hmm. every single one I read, everything is one I document myself. Nobody else doing it. So I get this insight that nobody else has. And yeah. also these updates, probably didn't complete that about the updates, but the form, the form on the initial is a short one. The form on the updates are much, much longer. I start asking about vaccination, ask a flea ticket. When they start vaccinating, what they're vaccinating against, how often they vaccinate, uh -huh. how often they walk the dogs, how long they walk the dogs, how many times a week they walk the dogs, uh -huh. specifically what they feed, and any other thing that they, I feel have an impact on their longevity. Uh -huh. Then much easier for them to fill that out after a year if they stuck with my study because they get to know me. You know, I'm serious about this thing. I, I'm not going to take this anywhere. <laughs> no names, no nothing's going to ever come out unless yeah. they want to do it so so they feel safe so then it's much easier to ask yes. those type of questions yes. so that's the brilliant. value right there yeah yeah brilliant 
so then that works much better. And so, so I get a lot of information. Now, some, every year I update a little bit. There are certain things I want to know about. I get very into allergies in raw-fed dogs because that happens too. I mean, everyone thinks, okay, if you're a raw-fed dog, 80% of the time with allergies will disappear because the body will get into a mode of healing itself. And allergies are just signs of an imbalance somewhere. We don't really know exactly where it is often, how hard to find out, but like you and I, we, we, we see symptoms. Some of you symptoms to go to the cause, but in most cases, it's just to feed that wolf you're dying and everything is okay. So you're, you're seeing 80% of them, if they've switched to raw, they lose their allergies? Absolutely, yeah. maybe even Beautiful. higher. Wow. But there is a small percentage there that it doesn't do it. Right. Well, it, it, it is a little tricky thing happens after you feel raw that can throw people off. You you get this healing crisis right there. You know, the, the, the reaction from the body starting to produce and heal itself mm-hmm. and uh, purge toxins or chemicals and mm-hmm. can't really do that through their natural pathway. So some of this is going to come through the skin and it's going to create some itchiness and allergy type symptoms. And uh, some people misunderstand that and don't understand. You know, go to the vet, and they can actually get it back on some steroids and oh yeah, and uh, antibiotics. But we, most raw feeders, and I make pretty much aware of it when they consult with me, or we talk about switching. If you have any type of reaction that seems like that is some sort of what you can call allergy reaction, just try to write it out, uh-huh. and it usually disappears within weeks, a few weeks, maybe even shorter than that. But it. Then you have a small percentage, 10, maybe 20%, 10% less than that, that can never, can't get rid of the allergies. Mm-hmm. And those are tricky ones. But then again, these, and since I had so many of them, I, that's a nutritional thing oh. that's in my, and the minerals more than anything. Oh. So I've seen many of these by just adding some trace minerals, especially like um, MSM. Uh-huh. Sulfur, uh-huh. zinc, and iodine. Iodine is one of these miracle things that I've seen too many times now that I can't ignore it. Uh-huh. And um, there's a bono because there's no iodine anywhere in the food anymore. Yes. There is no sulfur in the food anymore. Yes. There is no, uh, so all these minerals, which is so important for the body to to communicate the cell communication done through the use minerals. Uh-huh. And if you are deficient in minerals, it's hard to, to obtain uh, homeostasis, uh-huh. in my opinion. Uh-huh. It is just when you see things over and over and over again, you start, okay, yes. that worked. That worked that's again. The, that's, the beauty of, that's the beauty of what you're doing, Tom, is you've got so many animals there. Yeah, and I didn't realize that in the beginning, but... When I suggest things, and the good thing about natural things, you know, you can almost never go wrong. You know, you can't do any damage unless you, you know, load up with massive amount of of, uh, one one thing. But still, in my opinion, the body will take what it needs. If it doesn't need it, ignores it. Just get rid of it. Uh Store a little bit for organ reserves if they need that. Because that's the way of, and you know, and carnivore don't eat every single day. So that's still in them. Exactly. I think the, the, the big problem is that we don't look at dogs as who they really are. Yeah. We look at them as a pet, you know, or a, almost like a, a human. child or yeah. human. Yeah. yeah, we humanize them too much and we forget that inside 
that little animal, a little cute thing you have, whatever you have, is a wolf. It's the digestive system of a carnivore, something that kills and eats things alive. Right. <laughs> you know, that's right. what they, they're waiting for, that type of food. So you need to mimic that more. So Exactly. I think that's, that's one of the... Yeah, you and, we are good at humanizing. You and I share a, a common goal, which is that we are both really focused on preventing these animals from mm-hmm. getting chronically ill. Absolutely. That's right? the key. Uh, and diet is a, is a big key to that. In my work, I see vaccines having a huge role in that. And But preventing it is so important versus trying to fix it after the fact. Tough to fix this And thing. I suspect as a naturopath, yeah, I, I suspect as a naturopath, you probably have ways of fixing it that we can perhaps have a whole episode on. But mm-hmm. what what... If you if you had to name two impediments that people kind of come up against a wall when they say, okay, I, I understand Sandberg says raw food is the best and he's he's in there with a bunch of other people saying the same thing. Yeah. I just get stuck at a couple of points and I can't go any further. What are those typically? Well, the fear is the, the fear is based on that not enough knowledge. I mean, it, for me, the the number one thing is always, always, always the food. You need to feed the right food. I have any hope of creating homeostasis. I have a dog that can be prevent, live long, and also have a resistance against diseases. Yes. Viruses and bacteria and those things. They have to feed the raw food diet. The fear of that is because you're veterinarian and other people are going to say, no, that's the worst thing you can do. Not the worst thing, but you know, that's dangerous. The bacteria and all that could kill your dog. Uh-huh. Especially if a sick dog. And this is the crazy part. The sicker the dog is the more it's going to benefit from a raw food diet uh-huh. and they won't accept that and dogs with cancer that the only i see a lot of dogs with cancer not see but i consult with them mm-hmm. and they are always taught never don't touch because they're green they're smart enough to know that the, the immune system is compromised in dogs with cancer they know that that's mm-hmm. really why you get cancer because the body cannot longer protect the dog or the cells from multiplying, there are the mechanism in a healthy dog. We all have cancer cells, and, and, right. and that mechanism that's set in, that are in place there to lead these cells into apoptosis. When the immune system gets enough compromise, these cells are free to, to, just to make it very, very simple, you're free to multiply. Yes. So you get cancer. So they know that the immune system is a big factor in dogs with any type of chronic diseases. So they say, oh, no. Don't feed that raw food diet because the bacteria in there and all that, and that really could kill your dog. <laughs> and in that case, in I never ever, and I don't need now for like with cancer, and I have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases that I documented. I never ever seen a dog survive cancer on kibble. Uh-huh. I've seen many, many survive cancer on raw food, uh-huh. or at least extend their life way past what they were predicted you know they, they get that time for three to six months if you do this and if you do that you can go six months if you do chemo you can get into maybe a year you get all these predictions yeah and everyone that beats that those predictions or even beat cancer completely i have cases like that many of those they're all fed the raw food diet uh-huh. which makes sense because you cannot it was they're all about beating cancer is restoring the immune system because the immune system eventually wants it's going to keep the cancer from coming back. You can kill cancer cells with different type of natural, a lot of interesting, uh, very effective natural products out there that will kill cancer cells. But eventually the immune system is going to take over. 
mm-hmm. and prevented from coming back, and that cannot happen in kibble food either. In my opinion, from my experience and all that, so raw food is so so important that way. But get back to now, we got totally off track because now I remember what you asked me. Well, it, it's just <laughs> about the uh, fear. The fear yeah. is bacteria is one, and uh, balance is number two. And now I think actually balance is number one now because there's so much writing on it on the internet. I you know I, I don't go on internet a lot now with these uh, forums and kind of. I don't participate in anything anymore. I have my own private network where I do that, but uh, Facebook and those things. But I know because I get tagged in many posts and they ask me to give my input because they know my feeling of balance and uh, they want me to explain it to them. Uh-huh. And, um, and I think So let's take share each that. of those in turn, Tom. Yeah. Balance and bacteria. What, what are the big impediments in people's minds about that? How do we get around that? Well, for us, sort of like trust would be with the same balance, in my opinion, and from what I see, it can never happen from the outside. You cannot create a balanced diet because every dog, every body, every cat, anything that you feed are different. There's no standard type that says that they need this much of this and this and this. And yes, there are things out there that say that your dog needs this much E or D or B or whatever, and also the minerals which is made up at one point back in time and they put it on definitely on the you know on the back of the kibble bag you see them there mm-hmm. so people are used to and thinking that that is a balanced diet and uh, but maybe they get to a point where they're probably not the best diet the probably role might be better but how do i know to balance it right because i knew with the kibble kibble i knew i put it in <laughs> the bowl and that's a balanced meal that might not be the best but it was balanced the scientists all know what they're doing right that's what the assumption. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is that since what you need to get focused on is variety. The, the body needs certain, you know, if you can get up to four or five proteins, which you eventually will get, mm-hmm. you don't need to start with it. You can start with one protein. You can feed chicken for a month. You can chicken for like two months, and you'd still do much, much better than kibble. Mm-hmm. So that's no issue if you can get into that. But most people that actually start and do that, this, if you okay, that sounds good. And I have proof of that. I actually had just recently, there was a dog that joined my study and she, the previous dog she had was fed chicken only. And she lived, it was 17 years old in Florida somewhere. Wow. Only chicken, never fed nothing else, but it fed, it fed the whole chicken. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So there's a lot of good things in there. So it didn't even fit all the proteins, but I don't recommend that. Yeah. But, what I noticed on these that start, and okay, I can start with chicken. That sounds okay. And then within days, they say, can I add something else? And he loves the chicken. He does so well. <laughs> I see all this little poop. They, they drink much less water. All this like immediate benefit that you will see. Yes. And then they start asking, can I add this one, this and this? And this? So it happens automatically. I've never seen anybody feed chicken for more than like, maybe two or three weeks. They always want to add in other things. and. Uh, like we mentioned before, when somebody are terrified, but get to the point where they actually feed a raw food meal, like a raw, a raw meal to the dog and then see the dog alive the day after. <laughs> it's like a relief. Okay, the dog survived that one. That cursed them to do a little bit more. And that happens a lot. I mean, I, uh, I don't have to think like that drastically, but it's just that initial fear. If you can get over that. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking at the food and it looks so different and it's raw and there might be some chicken bones in there, chicken wing. 
oh my gosh, is my dog's gonna, you know, he's gonna choke on this or what's gonna happen? Yeah. And they stand there terrified and see the dog maybe wolfing in and looking up and say, thank you, finally, you figured yeah. it out. <laughs> With that look on their face, because that's why I rescued Danes before. And I took one in that was three years or four years old. And um, horrible, horrible shape. Even the vet that went over the dog before I rescued him from, that was on the East Coast. Uh-huh. said, what the heck? And he just kind of whispered to me, why do you want to rescue this one? He has more like six months left, max, max. Uh-huh. Four years old. Took him home, put a raw meat there, a bowl of raw meat in, the, on the, in his bowl, the piece of raw meat wolfed it down that I never ever <laughs> seen Don Dog do and looked at me and I swear he thought that finally thank you for asking me you, you know what I wanted and the crazy part is that dog lived it with 13 years old wow he was a complete mess couldn't run at all oh. he would, his joints were so stiff he, all his teeth were dark brown oh. he smelled so bad like his breath was horrible oh. he had a detox effect from the raw food that I never seen on a dog lost hair all kinds of things oozing out and, mm. and yeasty air that I never seen on any dog he was been on the cheapest kibble but mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about his history because it was like an emergency rescue then the rescuers, the Oregon said, came back and said, you know, this dog has been locked up in a garage an entire life. It's never been oh, outside. Wow. Faded, cheapest kibble. Couldn't walk on gravel. His uh, paws was like oh. inside of my hands. Couldn't walk anywhere. Had to walk on grass. Hmm. And then slowly I got him off on trails in the woods and stuff. And it took me forever to rehab that dog. But 13 years. Wow. Lived. Wow. So it can be done. It yeah. can be done. Yeah, yeah. So balance. I always is, say this never too late ah, to switch a dog on I a raw it. food dog. Even if he has one day left, give the last meal raw. He will enjoy it. I mean, and I, that's kind of what drastic type of. Yeah. Yeah. I have seen dogs 13, 14 years switch to a raw food diet, and they, the owner said, oh, it's like it's seven, eight years again uh-huh. after a while. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, I love that. It's never too late. That's that's brilliant. Never, ever too late. And your data They're tell you that. Benefit. Absolutely. And you get them all the time. Yeah. I get questions. Oh, yeah, I have an eight or nine year old dog. You can barely walk. You can't run anymore. Can I, if I, it's too late to switch the road for like, No. Switch today. <laughs> switch now. Hang up the phone. Go feed raw food. <laughs> yes, yes. No, no. But it's a good what we do because the, the, immediate gratification of a raw food diet is there right away. I mean, within days, you can see a difference. Beautiful. We talked about the poop, but also the water. They drink so much water, less water. And that's another thing that, you know, they freak out about. Oh my gosh, it doesn't drink any water. I haven't touched the water for three days. Yeah. Well, that's normal. That's 70% water in raw meat. So you do the opposite of what you did with kibble. Kibble robbed the body from water. It sucks it up. And yes produces giant poops and uh, raw does the opposite provide water so my danes never drink water in the winter ever uh-huh. never uh-huh. in the summer they drink because they're out and they get hot and stuff but never ever i don't even i put water out but they never drink it uh-huh. they eat little snow and things when there's snow but it's like kids eat snow dogs eat snow so if we had to encapsulate your, your thoughts on, on balance, I know it could be an episode on its, uh, all on its own, but could we safely say that balance comes from variety of good ingredients over time? Yes. 
So yeah. in my just to get like in a in a short thing, just try to get to a point where you feed four different organ meats. Mm-hmm. I mean uh, the proteins, proteins, proteins. Mm-hmm. two or three different organ meats. Then every two or three days you can add an egg in there. Then in itself is a really really good meal. Then. I do suggest adding minerals and other things like a supplement on top of it because the food, you know, we know what we've done to the soil and uh-huh. kind of pretty much ruined that. And things like sulfur and other things are not really in the soil anymore. So we, that's one of the things, I, I, magnesium and those things I'd, I'd suggest to add in. But just starting with that is a really, really good meal because then the body will take what it needs. Because what I'm trying to explain to people, balance happens from within. It doesn't happen from outside. The body will take what it needs. The cells are sitting there screaming for things. And if it is in available, it will take it. Yes. If there are things in the food the body doesn't need, they either get rid of it and some of it gets stored as organ reserves. Because in, in the wild, don't mm-hmm. dog doesn't eat or carnivore doesn't eat every day. So they need reserves. They can go a dog can go without food for two, three weeks. I mean they still survive as long as you get water. Yes, yes. And so we've always got the wolf to fall back on as a model, don't we? They're not eating every meal balanced. Yes. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. So balance, if you can balance over it, many balance every day. They give it no balance. I'd say like give these four, three, four, five different proteins every day. And they put in um, organ meats and stuff. Others do it over a week. Mm-hmm. I, in my mind, it's easy for me to do everything every day. I just give four or five different things, which probably wouldn't happen in nature. But. The key for me is that the nutrients enter the body. However, these nutrients get into the body that the body needs to stay healthy. I don't think that matters a lot how you feed it, get it into the body. But I'm totally fine with doing one meat group per day. And because over time, like you said, over at least a week or so, it's, it, it will balance out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The same I do with supplements. I don't supplement every day. With supplements, I get half of what's recommended, and then I give it every other day. And on weekends, I don't supplement at all. I love it. Because I want the body to kind of be a little depleted of things and then asking for things and have that function of being able to, hey, I need this, I need this, before it gets critical. So if you don't, and that saves you a lot of money in supplements. Yeah, yeah. So if we can drive a nail into this, a spike into this myth of every meal has to be balanced, I think we've just done that. We don't, we don't see yeah, that in it, nature. And no, our dogs no. are built on a natural model. They're very closely related to the wolf. And yes. we, we don't have to be swayed by the, by the big food companies that say, we've got it on the label. We know what we're doing. And you can, as a pet owner, you couldn't possibly match what we're doing, right? That's a myth. Absolutely, you cannot. You will never know what that dog, your dog needs nutrition-wise. Yeah. To balance, to create a balanced meal is impossible. Yeah. Then again, the the, the meat you have different. And, you know, the meat from Florida can be totally different from the meat in Texas sure. when it comes to nu- nutrients. And they they say that this piece of meat have this many ty- or micronutrients and these things. Who knows that? You have to test every single meat then to know that. Yes. Before you feed it, and who can do that? Yes. It's impossible. Individuality, I think, is a, is a key in my homeopathic work, and it is in naturopathy yeah. as well. It, it makes so much sense exactly. to me. Yeah. Yeah. So then let's talk about the other... You can't treat every animal Yeah, the exactly. Uh, the bacteria, you will mention the bacteria? Yes, thing? please. Well, yeah, of course, that is, well, it's, I think that is gone down to number two, but if you go to your veterinarian, that's definitely number one. 
So in, in my opinion, because of the acidic environment in the digestive system, things like that, but it starts with the mucus system, which is so relevant now with vaccines and all that stuff. You need to be vaccinated through the mucus system and through the nose and the eyes and things like that. That's where virus and bacteria should come in. And the mucus system in the beginning, they would sort of encapsulate some, some of them would kind of send signals to the body. Hey, something really bad is coming down there. Prepare yourself for that. Right. So there is a system for, for, for things to enter into the digestive system and it should go through the mouth. And, but in the most cases, most bacteria will be taken care of by the acidic environment in the stomach. Uh-huh. But probably the biggest thing is the speed of the whole thing. That the digestion is super fast in a carnivore. And the reason for that is that these um, bacteria and other things will have a hard time colonizing. Uh-huh. So I, I kind of compare it to a train. Like you, you don't want to jump off a fast train. If you, you, know, you can't, if you even do, you, you cannot colonize in the sense because the system is so fast. Uh-huh. And another thing is that it's also sensitive. And if, and we all seen dogs have this what they call cannon butts and things like that. If they have something bad in the system, they have a way of either, either they can throw it up or they can create this pretty impressive diarrhea. Yes. Really speed up the system. Yes, yes. So things like that, it's hard for bacteria to infest, uh, especially a healthy, healthy body like a carnivore or, I mean, uh, like a, a raw-fed animals have been raw-fed for quite a while. This, then they... They get diarrhea. My dogs get diarrhea, but it's over in a day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. When you, when you, well, that's, that's the picking up bacteria. Some bacteria are definitely going to create a diarrhea. And then I think also there is a reaction from the digestive system to create diarrhea to get rid of this bacteria faster. Sure. sure. So it's not a bad thing. You, you can tell the dog is not hurting from it. It's not like it's, it's suffering like we do. We, we have a sort of a diarrhea. We don't feel so good. I don't think dogs have the same type of feeling bad, but they're also better at kind of covering any type of suffering anyway, because that's yes. genetically they don't want to show weakness. Yes, yes. But so there is an interesting study out there, and I'll, I think you can find it if you search for it. They, they tested salmonella. Was it E. coli salmonella? I think it was salmonella. In them, how long it will stay in the poop. So they fed dogs with uh, contaminated meat or food that had salmonella. Uh-huh. So that when they pooped, they were testing that poops. How long does that salmonella live in that? Just sort of kind of like a public sort of telling people if you have dogs and, and the poops, how long would that salmonella if you don't clean it up? There was yes. some sort of a... They uh-huh. were just interested to see how long salmonella can, can survive in, in poop in dogs. So they fed them contaminated salmonella. And... It went on and on. If you read the study, there's all this detail, you know, how the, the papers are, scientific papers. Yeah. And then on the very, like in the last, very, very last end, they said, oh, by the way, none of the dogs got affected, got sick from the salmonella. Yes, yes. Just a little side <laughs> note, and then, which is like pretty much the biggest thing of the whole study. Hey, you're feeding, a, you, you're screaming about the traces of salmonella in some, you know, the recall, recall from, from kibble and things like that, and the recall millions of thousands or whatever they do just for a little bit of a it would never affect the dog yes yes so 
So in that study, yeah, yeah they showed that. And it was, so I was like, oh my gosh, I've had all these, these dogs with this contaminated meat. And I was just a little, no, none of the dogs got sick. And it was like 30, 40 dogs and different breeds and everything. Oh, beautiful. So yeah, the relatives would eat carrion in a minute, wouldn't they? Yeah. I mean, if, if, there were, if food was scarce and carrion was there, a wolf would dive in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and a, and a dog who's on his own would would do the same, and the worst case would be a brief diarrhea to shoot out the bad guys if they needed it. Yeah, and then most of is killed on the way out when he, in in and that acidic and the environment in the stomach is pretty effective killing bacteria. Yeah, or at least preventing it from going anywhere. Yes. So one of the things you said that struck me was it's almost impossible to screw up a raw diet short term. Yeah. Would yes. you say a few words about that? Maybe that's in the fear. Yeah, because we've got to think about what we're doing now. You, when you have a kibble-fed dog, you're feeding him. This is my opinion, of course. And, you know, everything is, I said so far is my opinion. I don't have a little proof of science behind it. Just from my study, I see this over and over again. But when you think about kibble, well, you and I know about kibble. It's not a very nice, you know, it's not the best food. So then you remove something that's not good. Then you replace that with something is really good, which is actually the digestive system is designed for. So going from feeding something that digestive system is not designed for to something that is it is designed for. So you remove the bad and you replace it with the good. So you have that double effect. So that's why you see these really, really fast, incredible results. Beautiful. And I think that is really hard to do with a human because human has such so much more variety. It's actually really easy to feed a dog when you think about it because it's a pure carnivore veterinarians are called call them omnivores but in my world they are carnivores and they they're very specific diets this raw meat and bones this is a killing an animal and feed that to them that's pretty much their diet yes so it's not that when you feed that that is such a incredible good food for the digestive system that's what they're designed for from from nature and then you took out the junk so that's why we see this really, really, really fast and quick results, in my opinion. And they get the immune system back online. The immune system get into homeostasis, which is balance. And then that can take care of, um, that makes the body heal itself. So this is all about creating an environment where you can get the body to heal itself. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's it's a double it's a double whammy. You take away the bad stuff. Yeah, it and is. You add it really is expected, genetically expected, and good. Yes, and I think that's why we see such incredible results. That's why they don't see these results. If you do start feeding good or good supplements and things to a kibble fed, you don't see the same results. Uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, you can start adding good things into a kibble diet, like we talk about adding an egg in there, which is better than not doing it for sure. Yeah. But if you add an egg to a raw food diet, you get an even better effect because the body doesn't have to fight or struggle with the stuff that he really not designed for. He loves the egg, but I mean, the the, the bottom line there is going to be much better if there is a raw food diet to add that egg to. So it, in studying all these dogs, Tom, let's let's give the listeners some encouragement to say how long before you see some results when these dogs switch from a kibble to a raw diet. Well, some see a result, see things in a day or two. I mean, you see it on the, of course, on the on the poop is the first thing you see. Yeah. Then then you see on the water, they're drinking the water. But within a week or two, you start seeing some, the fur looks a little shinier. Uh -huh. 
the, the bad breath is not there anymore. The vita- vitality in the eye, like, you know, they look more alert. They look yes. more present. They look like, and they sort of like kind of move different. They seem like they sleep better. They seem like they, <laughs> and in many cases, if you have a really hyper dog, they start to seem calmer, and oh. which is opposite of what many think. Yeah. yeah. And it has a mental, you know, uh, effect too. So, ah. and I see that a lot, like, oh my God, you, my dog used to be crazy, go nuts after each meal. And now it's just, you know, calm and wants to lay down because they feel full and they don't start begging for me for more food an hour later, yes. like they often do on kibble. Uh, yeah. uh, and uh, and I also had a big, big advocate, we should mention that maybe, of feeding once a day. Yeah, I'm a big, big, and also fast once a week. Uh-huh. I'm a big, big believer in that is that really good because if you feed fast uh, once a day you create sort of a little mini fast and uh, i think that's extremely healthy for the body and i, I think we feed a raw food diet and 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 do that right there's quite a bit of fat in there so i think these dogs drift in and out of ketosis even over a period of 24 hours so uh-huh. if you do that that is to me very very healing ketosis in and a fast-induced ketosis, I think, is extremely healthy. Uh-huh. A diet-induced ketosis, which is so incredible popular now that you know, they use it. I use it for cancer, like the first defense sort of, when I get a cancer dog, I like to put them into ketosis, but not more than a week, max, max a week, not uh-huh. anything uh-huh. longer, because it's a, a ketogenic diet on a dog is highly, highly, highly unnatural. Uh-huh. And I think you're losing out on on all kinds of benefits that you will have when you feed a more balanced type of raw diet. But it is a strategy that can be used for seizures. If you have a dog with seizures and put them on a raw food diet, high in fat and driven into ketosis, you very rarely see another seizure. And you stay on that, that raw food diet. That, that's one of those biggest healing things I said for seizures is a raw food diet. Uh-huh. So even without the ketosis, just having a, a raw food diet can... Yeah, that even even switching. But if you have a severe, like one that goes into seizures two or three times a day, mm. to get it into... The, first, what you do is you fast for 48 hours. So you just go into ketosis by by fasting or and then start feeding a fairly high-fat diet for a little bit and then slowly go back to a norm, more balanced diet. Mm-hmm. Very, very good results with when it comes to seizures. Excellent. Absolutely. Excellent. So even those guys, but those things, you know, if you do, even those guys, you wouldn't keep yep. on a ketogenic diet. You'd just do it initially and then get on yes. a balanced raw. Yes. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I did in the beginning, and I, I do admit I was one of those big promoters of the ketogenic diet, and uh, I was also, and but I, I, I'm starting to when I kept them on ketosis for. Too long, at a, I feel like like going backwards. Something wasn't right, and then when thinking about it as a naturopath, it's like a highly, highly unnatural diet. That dog would exactly. never eat that much fat. Seventy, eighty percent. What he couldn't even come, figure that out in the wild. They would never eat it. So right. I always think about what is natural, what is natural, and then I go back to that. But as a strategy for chronic disease and other things, it could be. I see the benefit of it, but I'd like to have it induced by by fasting instead of with food. I love it. But you can keep it in ketosis with food for a short time. But I, because I tried this now too many times, and then 
I see this, especially dog with cancer. If you can get them back on a balanced diet, they do much better. Oh, I love it, and that makes sense because yeah. that's what that's what builds up the, the immune system. You know, the, the homeostasis are based on on a, a natural diet. You got to get so close to nature to can, and that's feeding a more balanced diet, not the ketogenic diet. Yes. But it's very popular. Some people keep the dogs on the ketogenic diet to, as a cancer prevention thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a good idea. I mean, that's me. Mm-hmm. That's me. Yeah. I have friends that believe in it, so they're not going to like it. And I said, oh, well, they know I'm they're already annoying. That's what I believe in. I, I was much more into ketogenic diet before, but now... I shouldn't say it because I, I'm doing it myself. I mean, I go in on auto ketosis myself. So. Sure, but I think it's different for humans, and because uh, I can, I can, I go with how I feel. If it doesn't feel right, then I change things. We can yes. do that with dogs. Yes, but it always comes back to nature in uh, what is natural. I think that's the key because we are now removed. The problem that with the whole thing we're dealing with, we are taking an animal out of an environment and with the ancestor and all, they lived there for thousands of years in nature and we're taking them out. And the gap now is so big from what they're designed to live in and what we have created. And that is what we need to narrow that gap. And that's what I'm kind of sort of working on. And yeah, yeah. Trying to create the closest. And that's why I always want two dogs. I want that little pack. I call myself pack leaders. I get a lot of flack for that. I call myself <laughs> a dog owner. I get a couple of flack for that. But uh, I okay. need to create this environment that are very similar to what I had by day. And they, it's, it's. I, th- I think you said a huge thing that I, I don't want to skip over, which is that we always have an example to fall back on. Who's genetically most similar to the dog? It's the wolf. 99% mm-hmm. of the mitochondrial genes are the same in both species. Yes. So we can, we can always look to that and say, would a wolf ever eat a ketogenic diet for a long period of time? Absolutely not. They wouldn't come across no. that much fat. No. So I've used that for years, Tom, to say, well, what would a oh, wolf yeah? do? Or what would a bobcat do you know, in the wild mm-hmm. if we're talking cats? And you're on yeah. the same page. So I, I appreciate that. We always have a reference. Well, we have walked so fast with our... But the, the, these animals haven't even caught up on 1% of that. So they're still stuck in that old, in their carnivore. They then have never evolved in, in even close to an omnivore or anything like that. It's the, the dogs and the cats. So, and, but that's what they like to say. You know? They like yeah. to say dogs are omnivores. You see it everywhere. They go to any type of kibble uh, manufacturer's website to say dogs are carnivores. No, I'm no worse. And uh, I'm so worse, most yeah. veterinarians would say the same. And that justifies, yeah. sort of a little bit justifies feeding kibble. Okay. That, uh-huh. You know, that kibble is better for you and I than the dog. You really think about it. Yeah. 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 If you want to. No, always thinking, Nate, what would nature do? That Because nature had the answer for most. You know, that, exactly. That, that is Thousands of years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Even it comes to healing and modalities and remedies and stuff that had been out there for thousands and thousands of years. It wouldn't be there if it didn't work. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, how about cost? There's a kind of a worry about this being a super expensive thing to do. Yes, that's definitely one of these things that are out there when, for people that had never done it before. And in the beginning, yes, it's because you don't know what you're doing, but there are ways around cost and you, you become smarter as you do this thing because you know sort of what you're looking for and you can go into co-ops if you live in cities and they can buy and you know they buy in bulk and things like that i mm-hmm. 
I don't live in a place like that. But what I purposely do and what I have, it's probably the only little problem I have with what I'm doing, but I'm doing it for the, for good reasons, is that I buy everything in a regular grocery store. I do not buy anything organic. I wish I could. I wish I could afford it and all that. I, I think that will be better. But I think if i doing it and if I tell people, oh, yeah, you can go to the grocery store and I would then go and buy everything organic, I'm not truthful. So I kind of wanted these great things I have now and had before. They always got the food from a great regular grocery store. I mean, no, that's not the perfect meat. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to prove that that still is much, much better than kibble. And that makes it a little more affordable to people. Because if you, there are people out there that will never, ever do that. They will feed organic, 100% organic, and they, and they can afford it and they can do it. Absolutely, no problem. Sure, sure. But I can get much more people on to a raw food diet. If they, I said it's okay to buy that food from a regular grocery store, and they're still going to do much, much better. And I've proven that. My day lives so much longer, they don't get cancer and, and chronic disease or nothing. So I know it works. So, uh-huh. Uh-huh. But I think you can balance that out a little bit, or not balance, but contra, what do you call it, when you, you kind of alleviate the, the damage some of that food can do to your dog by feeding supplements. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Good, good, not like minerals, uh-huh. uh, because I think they lack, probably lack a lot of minerals. I never uh-huh. tested any of that food, but so I think that could be one way to limit any type of damage that food could maybe uh, probably cause. Good, you know, they are, I think, a, a, a very strong immune system. I think you can create that with, with that diet from meat from a grocery store and also the supplement with it as a, that could f- kind of fight off any type of side effects from that. But I also think if we can feed perfectly organic food, I probably can get these dogs to live longer. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But I think, I think that's a really interesting point. You've seen the animals just leave the kibble and get on grocery store-based raw food diets and excel. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's what I do. I, mean, I never fed anything organic ever. Uh-huh. So and then they're doing fine. I mean, they 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 live longer. They they don't have these joint issues and and other things. But they do supplement, and I do that. One of the reasons I supplement is uh-huh. because I don't buy the perfect food. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But if they can afford it, I would absolutely encourage people to buy organic. But I think you can you do I don't know many many, many times better than kibble store food or store bought uh, meat is. But the world of difference. Yes, yes, it's huge. Tom, I'd like to wrap up with you for this episode to have you tell our listeners about the phase three of your work and how they could get involved if, they, if they're so inclined. Yeah, phase three is to open a, a holistic, first in the world that I know, a holistic rescue and rehab center where I can actually show the world what I'm doing mm-hmm. case by case. Mm-hmm. When I will rescue dogs severely. Uh, challenged uh, health wise, and I, I hope to take them from from uh, shelters. And then these dogs will be uh, scheduled to be euthanized because there is no funds to heal them, and uh, then nobody wants to adopt these dogs. And facing thousands of thousands of dollars on the vet bills immediately, mm-hmm. and so I will take these dogs out and will document everything I do with them day by day. We we'll actually set up a live stream, and then each dog will have their own web page. 
Wow. And I would in detail tell them exactly what they do so people can mimic this and do it other places. And I will provide that service and helping them. And I'm hoping my vision is to have centers all over the world doing these things. Eventually, there could be one person rescuing one dog at a time. That would be one. And I would support them and all this. Inside this center, I would create other entities that would fund the centers. So I'm not dependent on funding all the time because uh-huh. I know most of these nonprofit centers they spend more time raising funds than they do take care of the dogs because they're running out of money all the, all the time. Sure. But, uh, so I have some models and some ideas how I can do that with some breeding program. I also have a big um, vision of raising uh, therapy dogs, raw-fed therapy dogs that will last twice as long as regular dogs. You know, when uh-huh. I get the right, everything right, and that's that, that's a difficult thing. But I will start with great things because they're good for dog. And there is actually a program going on like that. They're raising them for people that have balance issues. So they use Danes to support it so they can walk around oh, uh-huh. and, and have a whole different life. And that, but the sad thing, two or three years to train these dogs and then they stay with them for maybe two or three years and then they're gone. Yeah. And you the, the bond you create with a therapy dog is the most amazing bond because it changes your life. You know, yes. suddenly I can walk around, I can go places, I'm not dependent on others my dog it's helping me this this bond with, with any type of service dog that happens if i can extend the life or double the lifespan on this service dog and doing such a incredible thing to the owners and the and the, and the one that they service and all this it's just always want to do that then but the problem is that almost on every one of these organizations this therapy, they, they are people from the cable company sit on the board Mm-hmm. And there are clauses that they, they want to accept raw-fed dogs. They cannot mm. feed your dog because it's such a threat to the person. You know, back, mm. go back to this bacteria myth that you can get sick from raw food and stuff. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it, it doesn't happen. But there are therapy dogs out there that are raw-fed. That is in my studies. I know they're doing it, but they probably don't tell whatever organization they're part of and all that. So I shouldn't probably say that. But they can't even. For <laughs> so yeah, yeah. That's one of the things I would do, and the, the, there will be another income source that you can support the center. I will have some supplements I could start doing things with to to support it. A big thing for me, and I think it's one of the most amazing supplements out there. Or things you can give a dog for bacteria and viruses. Colloidal silver. We might talk about that at one point, but that's uh-huh. one of the things I'm using every single day. So there are other things inside this center that I was do to secure the, the longevity of it. But the main thing is to show people what I do with these dogs and using mm-hmm. the modalities that I've seen working over and over again. Because I can do what we do now. I can talk about it all day long. People <laughs> can say, oh, that sounds credible. Oh, that's good. But actually see a dog coming out from a shelter all, you know, maybe have to carry the dog out and yeah. then heal them back holistically, naturally with food and other Maybe basic supplements, and I'm only using things that are available everywhere in the world. It's not like anything they can't get hold of. Uh-huh. And then maybe that would be more powerful than it is just talking about it and writing about it. Yeah. So that's that's my next. That's the phase three, and I'm I'm starting a campaign where I will ask for two dollars from two million people. The uh-huh. reason I tried to raise so much money is that I want to put a clinic in there. Uh-huh. And I'm working with 
I don't know. Have you heard of Marielle Siegel in Florida? She's a homeopathic. She's a kind of integrated veterinarian. That's, I think so. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, she's been out there and we are working together. She will put hopefully her first clinic, if I can get this going, inside that center. And it's more like a therapy. She is a genius when it comes to cancer and oh. cats and dogs. She's done some incredible work. We're testing different things right now that I would maybe at one point talk about, but there are some really, really powerful supplements out there, or botanicals, even, a, even actually a drug out there that have been very, very effective in, in restoring very severely thing, severe things like MS in humans. I mean, MS, there's no cure for MS. Right. And this particular drug has actually got people out of MS and it has no side effects. It's used in low doses. It's in the body for three or four hours, goes out, and the body has a reaction to it and produces endorphins and other things which are extremely healthy for the immune system. Wow. But that will probably take too long to yeah, it's so much interesting things out there that when you are a researcher and you dig in and you dig in and dig in. But another little thing from my studies that I never ever thought about either. I learned so much from some of these people that get into my study and using things that I never heard of. Uh-huh. So they share it with me and I say, oh, wow, that, that fixed my dog, they say. I never heard of it. And then I look into it and I start digging in and I see another story here, another story there. And I learn more from that than looking for things myself. Uh, I mean, yeah, you always, yeah. you probably, you always, if something works for something, you get a little bit interested, yeah? Exactly. If you exactly. see it repeat itself a couple of times, they say, wait a minute, there might be something to this. Yes. And then you see it more, and then you suggest that maybe somebody that could benefit and they doing it, and again you see it, then yes. wow. Yeah. So that happens a lot. That happens a lot with me. And then, but it also happened the other way around, where I try things and nothing happens, and nothing happens, and it happened over and over again, and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. There are famous, famous um, things out there that everybody promotes for certain things, and I tested it and never seen any results with it. Yes, but then when you start looking, who, where are you seeing these stories? It's always on the manufacturer's website, mm-hmm. and you start looking outside there, and you don't see anything. So I'm very skeptical when it comes to any type of uh, what do you call them feedback and things that are listed on a manufacturer's website. Exactly, and, exactly. But it's still interested in testing things. Yeah. That's part of a big, big part of my study is to test supplements. Aha, uh-huh. I love it. And and I think you're you're a true scientist with with what you've just said. You're you're skeptical of things that come from the wrong mm-hmm. sources, and you're open to ideas that you've never heard of. And so that's how a Absolutely. scientist has to work. Absolutely, and that's what kills a lot of things too. Because people, oh no, there's no science behind it. Oh, they, I, I I can't tell you how many times your study is not scientific. I know it's not supposed to be. It's an yes. observational study, <laughs> observing things, and looking for trends. I look for trends that repeat itself, which in my mind is actually science. But yes. no, oh my gosh, I got been called. I mean, as an animal, I'm a naturopath. I'm a quack in most people's mind. You know, so, but like we talked, I think we talked about it before we got on the air. We are on the side of truth. I know I'm on the side of truth because I've seen yes. these, let's talk, just with a raw food diet. I know it works. And I know why it works because we gave a dog or cat what the digestive system is designed for. And the reaction to that is the body will restore itself, get in the balance and, and heal itself before, yes. from whatever it is. And also have a really strong prevention type of 
function too, so you don't get sick. And if they get sick, they recover. I mean, I had dogs that get chemical cough, it's fine in two days. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Not, you're not given anything. Nothing. Yes. No medicine. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. He'll say, well, he didn't eat for two days, and we're a little down, coughing a little bit, but then two or three days, it's gone. And in these raw fed dogs, it happens yeah. many times. Yes, yes. So the body really have the ability to heal itself. Yes, I mean, it's good that they get that virus in there and build immunity if there is anything for chemical cough. But that's how you want the, you want the dog to get these things and be sick a little bit, but you want to recover with no medicine. Yes. Know, or at least yes. the drugs. Yes, exactly. Well, Tom, where can people find you online? Well, my main site, I know encourage people in by listening and not part of my study. I mean, I had so many in my study and people, half of them were probably already in my study that will listen to this thing. It's on longlivingpets.com. And they can, if they need to contact me personally, they can find me. There are ways to contact me on that. That would probably be the easiest one. Okay. But I'm also under my consulting and all that is under the theanimalnaturopath.com. Uh-huh. Okay. So two sites. So that's where I do my consulting. Okay. Yeah. I'll so I do, they're trying to keep them separate. So the longlivingpets.com is the study. That's where people register for the study. Okay. And there's some other information there too. That's it's getting kind of old, but that's, that's where they have the form to register. If they want to be a part of the study, it's no cost at all. And and it's only one update a year. So it's like, I had to make it as simple as possible. And so people don't feel like they're, oh my gosh, I'm going to get into this now. <laughs> no, it's just one, once a year and the updates is easy. Beautiful, beautiful. So I'll have both of those links in the show notes, everyone. Be sure to visit vitalanimal.com and look up our podcast there. You'll see it on the top menu. And when this goes to press, those links and more from Tom Sandberg will be in there. So Tom, I want to thank you. And I, and I think we've got more to talk about. So I'd love to... Think about a future episode on something where we go into a deep dive. Are you open to that? Absolutely. I think we could talk more about healing think modalities we can use that are, you know, powerful things out there. Okay. That I mean, some of them I probably can't talk about it on there because they're, they're things that, especially in the cancer part, I'm extremely careful about that. But uh, they uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, you have your own whole own line of supplements and things that I would love to look more into. And I admit I haven't looked into it yet, but I heard other people that, you know, over the years, I said that you have things that they think that I could get involved in and, and uh, be a part of my protocol. So it's not like sure. I don't know it, but, and I think the, the, the community we are in, that's so small that we all need to work together and take the ego out. And 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 because and, yes. uh, there's too many egos in here and uh, too many opinions, uh, too many, it's still, I don't know, I wish I knew the percentage of people that fed raw. Do you have any, I think it's less than 5% when you think about the whole world. What do you, uh, I know the world, let's just keep it in the United States. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either, Tom. It's a great question. We could We could maybe float a poll. People could could answer a simple poll, but I, I don't know how you get a broad enough net to to know that. I, I suspect it's it's a a relatively vocal minority. They they are beating the drum for it because they get such good results. And in my That's practice, it, yeah. they they would they would happily leave the need to see me as a homeopathic vet after they started feeding raw because their animals just got so healthy. I didn't need to help them, and I was happy to see that. I want them to graduate and, and be on their own and 
keep those animals out of trouble. So, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not the money maker for the ones that want to make money on animals. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, the last Dane I had, I was 13. would never, ever been to the vet for anything. <laughs> so that's not the good. Yeah. You, you do understand. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, and many others say the same. They never go to the vet for anything. I, I do bring in for blood tests and things like that just for, for part of my study to make sure it's everything is okay. But it's always, always okay. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there's so many and uh, popping into my mind, but let's let's we can talk, you know, later. See if we can plan another one. Absolutely, I'm willing to do that because okay, my main mission in life is to get as many dogs to eat the right food as possible and take the fear out from doing it. Yes, exactly. And I think that's what we uh, whatever we can do to to help with that because, like I said, we just see the amazing results from it. Yes, which makes total sense. Yes. It's well, not let's, like we come up with something new. I mean, we haven't invented anything. We exactly. To, you know, that's the crazy part. We're, we're just beating the drum calling for nature. Raw, <laughs> yeah, calling raw a fad diet. And then they have to smile, okay, and then I know you're not very well informed because that's actually what they all started as. A fad diet. Just, man, convenience took over. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks very much, Tom. We will be talking in the future, and we'll look for this episode to change a lot of minds for the better and animals to benefit and both longevity and health as a result of making the switch thanks very very much yeah like i said yeah they did really no risk involved maybe, maybe the latest one i've never seen a dog die from raw food diet ever yes and so so if you don't like it go back to kibble but you don't risk and just hope give it a try for a week and then i've never seen anybody People have put a dog on a roof die for a week. I've never seen anybody go back to kibble unless they came into some financial thing or something, but not not for health reasons. Yeah, beautiful. Thanks, Tom. Okay. 